lighting nerds and friends, and welcome to another episode of The Light Files, the lighting industry podcast. My name is Lisa Bartlett. Thank you so much for joining me again today. Um, a few housekeeping just at the very top. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Light Files or follow me personally. I usually post in both places. And I did launch a Patreon to st- support this podcast. Um, it just helps find the time and everything to, to keep this going, which uh, I'm really enjoying and I'm appreciating the feedback on. So I think it's important that we keep this dialogue going. Um, that's patreon.com slash light files. If there's any way that you can support the podcast, I would sure appreciate it. Thank you so much in advance for that. Uh, I super appreciate y'all. I appreciate y'all just for listening and responding to me. It's just been super informative and interesting. And um, yeah, I look forward to doing this for a long time to come and help get these conversations going. And um, as I get more sophisticated, I'd like to do interviews, but I have to figure out how to do that first, which is part of what the support of the podcast will go to, (laughs) allowing me to figure out how to make all that happen, uh, which is a little, you know, challenging for a newbie at this. Anyway, thank you so much for being here and for listening and sharing, telling a friend. Um, it just it just means a lot, and I, I super appreciate y'all. Um, okay, a few things today. The first thing I wanted to start with is I think showrooms – okay, so when I started my travels to Dallas and forming relationships with lots of y'all, um, I started hearing a lot that showrooms – in general, are complainy complainersons. And I get it. (laughs) I'm not saying that's wrong. (laughs) I'm saying maybe it's just like half the picture. So um, kind of like I mentioned last week, there is this like canyon that I called it the lighting canyon uh, between different like silos of the industry, different channels, different relationships, different, like, uh, there's just, uh, sometimes it's like manufacturers are here, reps are there, showrooms are over there and a nary shall they meet. Uh, Um, it's just like, we don't fully integrate with each other in a way that I think could really make, uh, our relationships more successful and profitable. And I, we used to hear this a lot about showrooms being complaining, and I'm sure some of them are just, really terrible. And I get it. You know, it's just like any dealing with people, right? Uh, Like some people are just always going to be needy and some are less needy. And it's just kind of a fact of life. So I'm not saying there isn't any truth to that. But I also think there's sometimes really legitimate reasons why showrooms are being complainers (laughs) or frustrated and sharing their frustration. And I'm going to talk about one of those instances right now. So as we all know, there's been a lot of price updates needed, absolutely has to happen. Everyone needs to be able to make their margins. And if your shipping costs and material costs have gone up, then yeah, my price to buy that product and the end user's cost price to buy that product is going to go up. Makes perfect sense. No, Nobody's complaining about that happening. But the communication of that price change information is handled by some marvelously and handled by others not so marvelously. But when it's not handled well, I'm sorry to say that the the person in the chain, the company in the chain that gets left holding the bag is the showroom. Let me go into this a little bit more. 
So if uh, manufacturer A has had a price increase and they sent out a printed pricer to all their customers, say they mailed it out, a printed pricer to all their customers, plenty of time notifying them of the upcoming price change and what the new prices were going to be. But they did not digitally communicate that information to that same customer's or to the clearing houses, uh, namely Lights America and Exo Lights that manage a lot of our websites, uh, they did not distribute the information to them immediately or in a timely fashion. So they mailed out this printed pricer. Uh, let's say it was effective April 1st. The showroom may or may not have it. It may or may not have ended in the right hands. I know some showrooms do still use printed materials, and I think that's great. It's fine. Whatever works best for your business. A lot of us, I also know, have transitioned away from printed materials and prefer to do everything digitally. It's uploaded into our databases, our point of sale, our websites, and that's how we operate now. Um, and that's also fine. You know, whatever works for your business. But if I'm a showroom, and I am, that works off of a digital basis and you mail me something that may or may not have ended up in my hands. It could have gone with a stack of catalogs to a salesperson who knows where this price sheet, you know, landed. Um, I work off a digital basis. So that printed pricer, even if it was mailed to me at my correct address in a timely fashion, never made it to me. I'm unaware of the price change. And in the case I'm speaking of the digital pricer also didn't make it to uh, the website facilitator before the price increase took place. So it wasn't uploaded there in a timely fashion. So in this scenario, the manufacturer is going to get their increased price. And then like in this lag time, sorry to complete that thought, in that lag time there between the pricing being updated in the website software and my database, uh, maybe we've sold some of the product to a customer. And of course, we sold it to them based on what we believed was the price at the time, which was actually too low <laughs> for what it is now. So anyway, so the manufacturer ha has officially done their duty of notifying of the price increase. They mailed out the pricers, wasn't received, but... Um, so the manufacturer, when they go, when I submit my purchase order for the, these goods, the manufacturer is going to flag for incorrect pricing, as they should. And, you know, I have to, you know, allow it or disallow it or whatever the case may be, make note of it. That's fine. So the manufacturer is going to get paid their full price on those goods. Perfectly fine. The sales rep, I assume, also makes their full commission on those goods. Good. The customer actually got the product for a least a less expensive price than they would have otherwise, you know, because we are working off a different uh, cost basis than, than we should have been. And then the only link in this chain <laughs> that really suffers financially is distribution is the showroom. Wh what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm not going to short pay the manufacturer. They abided by their rules. And that is part of my, my deal with them. Um, I guess I could take it up with my sales rep and make a fuss, but I, then that'll probably come out of their commission, and I'm not too thrilled about that either. And I certainly can't sit, tell the customer at my price was wrong. <laughs> you owe me more money. <laughs> That's never going to work, uh, nor should it. So it, 
again, I've talked about this before, like some things I just accept as a cost of doing business. And this can go on that list. Like, you know, in some ways I, I understand it's my bad as the showroom. I would also strongly uh, argue that I would not have made this error if I had been fully informed, informed in a way that works for my showroom and how we operate, which I wasn't. So, and if I did, if I was fully informed, had all the digital files and all that, and still made this mistake. Well, yeah, that's just that's just on me, <laughs> and I have to accept that loss of margin. And I know often uh, we're told to showrooms, and I'm sure, and I actually I know it's true. We do receive a lot of perks for our channel of distribution, and I don't want to discount those. I know they come at a cost. Um, many of them, like display fixtures, are necessary to run a business. Um, and so I do believe like display deals should be a partnership between the showroom and the manufacturer and the rep. And that should be a partnership that's taken seriously. The display should be taken seriously and they should also be discounted um, for the floor space that we're giving to that, um, that supplier. And I think that's all great, but like issues like this with the pricing, this margin erosion is so impactful for showrooms. It, it, the, I feel like my job isn't really to be a sales manager some days. My job is to be a margin erosion manager and to minimize it. <laughs> and I know that's the case of a lot of business owners. I'm not just saying this is a unique problem for us. Uh, but I will say it's a problem that drains a lot of my time. <laughs> how to figure out how to prevent loss of margin. And it's just nonstop. And it's really frustrating as a business owner to constantly be dealing with this all the time. So I would just encourage everyone to think about like how you're communicating information to your customers and is it the way that they need to receive it? So like if I'm just going to keep picking on my pricer example, then maybe do an email poll with your customers. Like, do you want printed, digital, both, whatever, whatever the case may be, and then make sure that gets to them. And by the way, if only half of your customers say they want the printed pricer, well, then that's great news. You can save that printing expense. <laughs> you know, maybe you were printing 2,000 of them, and now you only need to print 1,000, and that's great. That helps the manufacturer save a margin around the edges too, and I think that's awesome. I think we just, in part of closing this um Lighting Canyon, <laughs> I guess that's my new favorite term. <laughs> Part of closing that is listening to one another about the ways that we need to to get information that allow us to run our businesses successfully. And I just think we need to put more thought into that. And it's not something that I think a lot of thought's given. You know, we've always done it this way. It used to work in the past, but uh, I'm here to tell you what worked in the past doesn't always work in the future. And we need to be forward thinking about this and react accordingly. So in my non-expert, no, in my opinion, <laughs> in my humble opinion, I just think this is something that needs worked on a lot. And if you think showrooms are complaining, this is really our pressure point. And there's a million little things that feed into this margin erosion pressure point. I'm sure you can name several off the top of your head if you stop to think about it for just a minute. <laughs> 
But this margin margin of sale erosion, this is a huge pressure point for me or for showrooms. It causes us a lot of grief, a lot of stress, and little tiny things like a pricer being delivered to us late and selling a product off of the wrong off of the wrong uh, cost of goods is so frustrating. Like it. And I get that the margin erosion might be really small in that case. Like, Lisa, why are you complaining? It's probably like 10 bucks. Like, I get it. I understand that one case is probably like 10, 20 bucks. It's not a big deal. But if you accumulate those over time, it actually does add up to a significant amount of money. And not all of us showrooms are like the really big showrooms, like 5 million of sales a year and over. Many of us are smaller showrooms where that 10 bucks really can make a difference. Um, and that's, you know, just something we all need to be thinking about. So that's my first topic. My other topic for the rest of the episode is a little bit more like meta. And I really am looking forward to hearing some uh, feedback from you guys on this. So I'm just going to start with a question. Do you collaborate with your mistakes? Not learn from them. You can learn with from them. That's that's an answer to this question. But do you collaborate with them? Do you take a mistake or an error for everything that it can be for you? And not just learn from it, not just create a solution to problem A, B, C, D, but to really collaborate with it and understand the source of that mistake. Like where did that spring from? How is that a good thing or a bad thing? And how can I be empowered by my circumstances that might have led to that mistake or this success and be be empowered by that and also understand that there's some limitation too in your circumstances? I clearly think about leadership and how to lead and things I've done wrong. <laughs> <laughs> maybe more than most people, right? I'm pretty uh, introspective like that. Um, it's how I personally operate and try to learn from what I've done wrong. I am absolutely one of those people that uh, <laughs> in the middle of the night will like wide awake be like, that's what I should have said. Um, but I can never, I'm not quick on my feet. I can't really think of things in the moment. It's really just kind of like, it comes later to me what I need to say or do. Um, so again, I, I think about this stuff a lot and I really just kind of wanted to, to put this in all of our minds, this, this word collaboration. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you can, you can see maybe where that's going and how I really believe this like ongoing, uh, discussion we need to have about how to move the lighting industry forward and propel it towards long-term success is a collaboration. And I also want us to think about how we can collaborate with the mistakes and missteps we've made in the past and how we can take that all under consideration and maybe make some changes in our industry and how we operate day to day to move everything forward, not just for independent lighting showrooms, which of course, you know, secretly, that's what I care about. Not so secretly. <laughs> Not just for independent lighting showrooms, but the businesses associated with what we do every day. Manufacturers, sales reps, service provider partners, all of the above. The collaboration 
I believe is going to be so key to us really nailing down what works for our industry and creating a path forward that all of us can jump onto. So I just wanted to put this thought out there. Do you collaborate with your mistakes? Collaboration, part of that is learning from them, making corrections, moving forward. Part of that's also just sitting with the mistake or success. I guess, I mean, if I'm putting it, do you collaborate with your mistakes? I could also say, do you collaborate with your success? And do you sit with that and figure out where that came from? Or at least give some thought to, you know, not we're not able to figure out everything in this world, but just to give some thought about where that came from. What's the source? What circumstances created that success or that mistake? And how are you empowered by that uh, situation? And how you're limited by that circumstance as well. And I really think if we can give some thought to this uh, within our own businesses, within the industry as a whole, we might come up with some really interesting ideas about how we can all move forward and work together even better into even greater success than we've done in the past. My college degree is in political science. Part of the reason my degree is in political science is because I became really enthralled with political theory and this concept of the city on a hill. <laughs> like I'm sort of obsessed with it and I am fully diehard American democracy, city on a hill all day, every day. It is like I just really that that philosophy resonates with me in my core. And I do believe <laughs> I'm like, who am I? I'm not a founding father over here. But I do believe that there's an opportunity in the lighting industry for us to find these collaborative paths together and forward that's really going to elevate the lighting industry in a way that is going to give us success in all these ways we can't imagine. Like we've talked about before, about how the competition for lighting dollars isn't just uh, the showroom down the block, but it's really, you know, the plumbing store across the street. Because when somebody's building a house, if they've spent all their money on plumbing and countertops and cabinetry and lighting's last and flooring and lighting is the last thing they get to, uh, you know, we're, we've, we're in a bad spot. <laughs> we're not going to get as much money. So if we can elevate our whole industry, like follow the city on a hill ideal, bear with me, I know this is a little silly, but you know, if we can follow that ideal and really elevate the industry, well, then maybe we do turn it. So lighting isn't last on the list. Maybe we're first on the list because lighting, everyone all of a sudden realizes really is so critical to your home and how you live and operate and see. Don't forget, we need to see. <laughs> So I just really think there's something there and I'd really love to hear your thoughts on this and like how we can collaborate. How can we can learn from our, sorry, rephrase, how we can collaborate with our mistakes and successes. What, what can we take away from those things as we move forward and think about the shape of our industry in the years to come? I've said before on the podcast that one of the people, artists that I'm really inspired by in life is the musician Ben Folds. Uh, I promise I won't keep bringing him up, but um, just this conversation uh, reminded me of one of my favorite songs of his. And I'm going to read the text here. Um, but before I do that, the song is called Philosophy. And I want to know 
your homework assignment if you choose to accept it. (laughs) I want to know what your philosophy is. And I'd love for you to message me, um, you know, lisa at lsalights.org. Message me on Facebook, Instagram. I'm uh, Lisa Lights Life on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Lisa Bartlett. Send me a message. I would love to know what your personal philosophy is regarding the lighting industry and your personal mission statement, however you want to think of it in your head. What is your philosophy for the lighting industry coming from your own perspective and point of view? I think these could be some really inspirational answers. um, And I'd love to share some of that inspiration. So if you send them to me, I won't say who anybody is. Everything will stay anonymous. But I would love to be able to share with the listeners next week or the week after um, some of these answers to what is your philosophy? What's your driving force that uh, keeps you going every day? And so with all with all that said, let me just read this to you. And um, yeah, this is Ben Folds. The song is Philosophy. Once you look up at the skyline, at the mortar, block, and glass, and check out the reflections in my eyes, you'll see they've always been there, even when the saw was grass, and I sang and danced about a high rise. And you were laughing at my helmet hat, laughing at my torch. Well, go ahead. You can laugh all you want to. I got my philosophy. And I trust it like the ground. And that's why my philosophy, it keeps me walking when I'm falling down. I see that there is evil, and I know that there is good. And the in-betweens, I never understood. Would you look at me? I'm crazy, but I get the job done. Yeah, I'm crazy, but I get the job done. I loved you guys. I didn't realize you weren't having fun. And I dragged you up the stairs and I told you to fly. You were flapping your arms. You started to cry that you're too high. You may take this all for granted. You take the mortar, block, and glass. And you forget the speech that moved the stone. But it's not really that you can't see the forest from the trees. You've never been out in the woods alone. So you can laugh all you want to, but I got my philosophy, and I love you, you're my friend, but you got no philosophy, and now it's time for this podcast to end. Have a great day, all. I look forward to hearing back from you. Thank you so much for everything and all your support. It means the world to me. Everyone have a great day.